Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 67. I shall read, first of all, the heading. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Hiram, Ohio, early November 1831. The occasion was that of a special conference, and the publication of the revelations already received from the Lord through the prophet was considered and acted upon. William William W. Phelps had recently established the church printing press in Independence, Missouri. The conference decided to publish the revelations in the Book of Commandments and to print 10,000 copies, which, because of unforeseen difficulties, was later reduced to 3,000 copies. Many of the brethren bore solemn testimony that the revelations then compiled for publication were verily true, as was witnessed by the Holy Ghost shed forth upon them. Joseph Smith's history records that after the revelation known as section 1 had been received, some conversation was had concerning the language used in the revelations. The present revelation followed. This revelation was received at the same conference at which the church determined to publish the revelations received by the prophet Joseph Smith in the form of the Book of Commandments. What is known to us today as section 1, or the Lord's Preface, and section 133, the appendix, were also received at this conference. Of these events, the Far West record records, Brother Joseph Smith, Jr. said that inasmuch as the Lord has bestowed a great blessing upon us in giving commandments and revelations, asked the conference what testimony they were willing to attach to these commandments, which should shortly be sent to the world. A number of the brethren arose and said that they were willing to testify to the world that they knew that they were of the Lord. After the receipt of section 1, a discussion arose relative to the language of some of the revelations, and concern was expressed as to whether those revelations suitably represented the mind of the Lord. It was in response to this discussion that the following revelation was given. It is important to note that the issue here was not whether or not Joseph's writing could be improved. Of course it could. Good editors can improve almost any document. The question was whether better educated writers could on that occasion, November of 1831, unitedly write a more convincing revelation than any of Joseph's. In the inspire, is the inspired quality of a revelation found in what it says or in how it says it? Is the divinity in the message or in its vocabulary and punctuation? The elders present at the November conference established to their own satisfaction that it was the, the former. With all their superior education, polish, and literary skills, they could not duplicate the divine element that would that they sensed in the revelations of the prophet Joseph Smith, and of that they could bear sure and certain witness. Verse 1, Behold and hearken, now both look and listen, a very strong pay attention. In other words, uh, hearken means also to listen and obey. O ye elders of my church, who have assembled yourselves together, whose prayers I have heard, and whose hearts I know, and whose desires have come up before me. Those present numbered only ten, Joseph Smith, Jr., Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, William E. McClellan, David Whitmer, John Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, Jr., Orson Hyde, Luke Johnson, and Lyman Johnson. Verse 2, Behold, and lo, mine eyes are upon you, and the heavens and the earth are in mine hands, and the riches of eternity are mine to give. Ye endeavored to believe that ye should receive the blessing which was offered unto you, but behold, verily I say unto you, there were fears in your hearts, and verily this is the reason that ye did not receive. 
Apparently, at least some of those present had come to the conference expecting spiritual manifestations that they did not receive. Two of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon, Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer, were present. They had been privileged to witness the appearance of Moroni, who personally showed them the plates from which the Book of Mormon was translated, and many other things prior to writing their testimony, which is published with the book. The anticipation that such a written testimony would also be appended to the Book of Commandments would have been most natural, as would the thought that it might be preceded by some marvelous manifestation. The promise that the time would come when such manifestations would be given, as given in verses 10 to 13 of this revelation, seems to affirm that this was their expectation. This verse affirms that the Spirit was restrained by their fears and doubts. It would be necessary for them to strip themselves of jealousies and fears and become more humble before they could enjoy such manifestations. Indeed, we are told that they were not sufficiently humble at that time to be quickened by the Spirit of God that they might rend the veil. Verse 4, And now I, the Lord, give unto you a testimony of the truth of these commandments which are lying before you. Your eyes have been upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and his language you have known, and his imperfections you have known, and you have sought in your hearts knowledge that you might express beyond his language. This you also know. The other commentary here, The revelations of Scripture are not to be considered absolutely perfect, nor, with the single exception of Jesus, do we have infallible prophets. Of the revelations of the Restoration, the Lord said, These commandments are of me, and were given unto my servants in their weakness, after the manner of their language, that they might come to understanding. In like manner, Moroni said, Condemn me not because of mine imperfection, neither my father because of his imperfections, neither them who have written before him, but rather give thanks unto God that he hath made manifest unto you our imperfections, that ye may learn to be more wise than we have been. Brigham Young said, I am so far from believing that any government upon this earth has has constitutions and laws that are perfect, that I do not even believe that there is a single revelation among the many God has given to the church that is perfect in its fullness. The revelations of God contain correct doctrine and principle so far as they go, but it is impossible for the poor, weak, low, groveling, sinful inhabitants of the earth to receive a revelation from the Almighty in all its perfections. He has to speak to us in a manner to meet the ex- the extent of our cap- of our capacities. If an angel should come into this congregation or visit any individual of it and use the language he uses in heaven, what would it be benefited? What would we be benefited? Not any, because we could not understand a word he said. When angels come to visit mortals, they have to condescend to and assume more or less the condition of mortals. They have to descend to our capacities in order to communicate with us. Latter-day Saints believe that God speaks through prophets. Prophets are not, however, merely scribes taking down divine dictation in a single, pure, perfect, and timeless form. Rather, the precise wording of a revelation can be influenced by the mind, education, and verbal or literary skills of the prophet himself. Therefore, there is actually no reason why a revelation could not, with a prophet's approval, be edited for spelling and punctuation, as long as such changes do not alter the meaning or intent of the original, that is, expressed beyond his, Joseph's, language. Such editorial changes have been frequently authorized in printed editions of the LDS scriptures. Verse 6, Now seek ye out of the book of commandments even the least that is among them, and appoint him that is the most wise among you. If you were in this group, would you volunteer to 
try to outdo a revelation that the prophet Joseph received. Verse 7, Or if there be any among you that shall make one like unto it, then ye are justified in saying that ye do not know that they are true. But if ye cannot make one like unto it, ye are under condemnation if ye do not bear record that they are true. For ye know that there is no unrighteousness in them, and that which is righteous cometh down from above from the Father of lights. Now remember I talked uh, last time about William McClellan and some of the things he was doing. Of these verses, the prophet said, after the foregoing was received, William E. McClellan, as the wisest man in his own estimation, having more learning than sense, endeavored to write a commandment like unto one of the least of the Lord's, but failed. It was an awful responsibility to write in the name of the Lord. The elders and all present that, that witnessed this vain attempt of a man to imitate the language of Jesus Christ renewed their faith in the fullness of the gospel and in the truth of the commandments and revelations which the Lord had given to the church through my instrumentality. And the elders signified a willingness to bear testimony of their truth to all the world. Accordingly, I received the following. And then he goes on and continues. Now, some of the elders at this time questioned the language of the revelations. They were looking at misspellings, errors in grammar, and other peculiarities. They reasoned that if these revelations were from the Lord, no such mistakes or peculiarities would be found. Thus came the challenge to them that from the Lord to write a revelation. Orson F. Whitney stated, Well, one of them, who thought himself the wisest and who possessed some learning, took up the challenge and actually attempted to frame a revelation, but it was a flat failure. He could utter, of course, certain words and roll out a mass of rhetoric, but the divine spirit was lacking, and he had to acknowledge himself beaten. It is not so easy to put the spirit of life into things. Man can make the body, but God alone can create the spirit. Back to the scriptures, verse 10. Again, verily I say unto you that it is your privilege and a promise I give unto you that have been ordained unto this ministry, that inasmuch as you strip yourselves from jealousies and fears and humble yourselves before me, for ye are not sufficiently humble, the veil shall be rent, and you shall see me and know that I am, not with the carnal, neither the natural, but with the spiritual. The veil of the temple, both under the law of Moses and in the fullness of the gospel, symbolizes the separation that exists between the realm of this life and the spiritual realms of God. In our natural fallen condition, it is impossible for our minds or senses to perceive or to penetrate this barrier or veil. But as we make and keep sacred covenants and obey the commandments of God, the veil becomes thinner and thinner. When we succeed in receiving the priesthood and its ordinances, when we obey the commandments and strip ourselves of jealousy, fear, and pride, then the barrier between ourselves and the spiritual realm may be breached, as it was for the brother of Jared. This may have been the blessing promised to these elders of the Latter-day Israel in Doctrine and Covenants section 67. When through faithfulness the veil has been parted and individuals receive the second comforter, then they no longer testify of Christ through faith, for their faith has become sure and certain knowledge. According to Joseph Smith, the second comforter is the resurrected Savior himself, and an individual who receives this blessing will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time, and even he will manifest the Father unto him, and they will take up their abode with him, and the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him, and the Lord will teach him face to face, and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. After a person receives the second comforter, faith in Christ becomes knowledge of Christ. Those who receive the second comforter no longer rely primarily upon the witness of others, or upon the witness of the scriptures, or even upon the witness of the Spirit, for they have come to know of themselves through their own experience and the witness of the Holy Ghost. 
Verse 11, For no man has seen God at any time in the flesh, except quickened by the Spirit of God. Neither can any natural man abide the presence of God, neither after the carnal mind. Ye are not able to abide the presence of God now, neither the ministering of angels. Wherefore, continue in patience until ye are perfected. Let not your minds turn back, and when ye are worthy in mine own due time, ye shall see and know that which was conferred upon you by the hands of my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. Amen. It was not intended that the opening of the heavens be only upon the head of Joseph Smith. As the glory of the sunrise is for all who will get up to see it, so the glories of God's kingdom are there to bless all who will receive them. What power shall stay the heavens, the prophet would yet ask. As well might man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course, or to turn it upstream as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge from heaven upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints. All who ask with an honest heart will receive. All who serve in faith will be rewarded with greater faith. In the revelation that follows, these same elders are promised that their words will be scripture. The promise of the ministering of angels had already been given them. Indeed, the higher priesthood which they held was given to administer the gospel and held within it the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. It would be their right, as it is the right of every faithful saint, while in the flesh, to bear the presence of the world of glory. I bear testimony to these things. That was a quote from Joseph Ely McConkie there at the end. I bear testimony to the truth of these things, and that as we uh, draw closer to our Heavenly Father, that we can also have that second comforter to have Jesus introduce us to the Father and be taught by them. I bear that testimony and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Toodaloo.